Elijah is looking for another mountaintop experience with God. He's just finished a magnificent experience on top of Mount Carmel where the fire burned in incredible ways and God was real and God was right there. And then that experience finishes. And what does Elijah want? He wants another one. He wants to hear the wind blow, to feel the ground shake and see the fire fall. And so that's what he's hoping for as he heads to Mount Sinai. Hey, welcome to Night Church, the Friday evening service of Praxis, the young adult ministry of the Loma Linda University Church. You're going to be hearing some great sermons, testimonies on this podcast that are going to encourage and deepen your faith. We are so excited that you're here, and I hope you enjoy this sermon, and so much so that you share it with someone that you love. Welcome. I had what was probably one of the busiest and just, yeah, just most difficult periods of my life in the sense of just the pure go, go, go nature of what was going on. I just finished up um, my first job, actually. I had resigned to move because my then fiance, Nicole, and I were getting married. So I'd packed the whole apartment up with uh, my roommate and we'd moved out and it had taken a while to do that. I put everything in a U-Haul and drove uh, what was normally six hours, but took like 10 hours from San Jose to here. And I arrived and then that evening with all my stuff still in boxes, I had a banquet to go to with Nicole and I think I ended up borrowing my dad's shoes or something because I couldn't find all my things. And then right with that back-to-back, Nicole also graduated from medical school and she was starting residency and so she graduated. And then, as if that is not enough, on top of that, she and I, along with my sister and now brother-in-law, had like a joint reception because we were both getting married at different points that summer and that took a lot. And then after that was done, we got on a red-eye flight across the United States to where we were going to get married. And so it was just a lot to deal with over the course of like a couple of weeks. But I remember that so clearly because we finally arrived. I think we landed in Nashville, Tennessee. We're getting married not too far from there. And then things started to move and come together. Her bridesmaids and my groomsmen began to arrive. Our parents were there, other family. We had to go out, do all the many, many, many things you do in preparation for a wedding. And the anticipation for me really began to build over the course of that week. We decided to do kind of a weekend thing, so we had lots of friends and family in town over the course of like three days. So it was great to see a lot of people. So then on Saturday, we did like a church service. We had people for like a potluck lunch. It was wonderful. It was beautiful. Then... That night, my groomsmen and I took out to Nashville. We had a good time, we got back very late. And I had a very, very difficult time falling asleep that night. Let me tell you. So the next day was the wedding. And I could not sleep the night before. 
I was very nervous. And it was just a lot of anticipation, a lot of nervous energy, a lot of excitement building up. And so the next morning I got up after what was not good sleep. And then my grooms and I all in the same house, we all started to get ready. So, you know, everyone showered, ate breakfast, put their clothes on, all the usual stuff. We all piled in the car, made it to the venue. And then, you know, the photographer comes over and they're like, well, don't have your like tie and jacket on quite yet. We want to take pictures. So we're there just hanging out, just shooting the breeze, having a good time and doing all that stuff. And I just remember like really enjoying this period of time but still being like very nervous. I hadn't talked to Nicole at all that day yet. She was doubtless even busier than I was getting ready for <laughs> the wedding later on that evening. And so the anticipation just kept building, kept building and kept building. And I was so nervous. So finally, the wedding planner, the photographer, whoever it was, came in to where the grooms were getting ready and they're like, okay, next thing on the schedule, ready for the first look. And then that really ramped up the pressure in my mind and I got even more nervous. So they had us in like this little place in the venue and Nicole was not very far away. So I went out there and if I remember correctly, they had me stand there, close my eyes and you know, wait a couple moments before she was ready. And then, you know, they give you the cue, open your eyes, turn around. And so that's what I did. And in that moment, let me tell you, all of that nervous energy disappeared. It was gone completely. And then from then on out, I had what was probably the most enjoyable and fun day I had ever had in my whole life. Uh. We had all our friends, family. It was a great time. It was what I would describe as a mountaintop experience. And I'm sure each and every one of you here has had a mountaintop experience of some type or another. Perhaps it's a wedding for you, or perhaps it's something like clicking submit on that final paper. Perhaps it is finally getting the call from the university or from the job you always wanted saying, you've been hired or you've been accepted. Everyone has had a mountaintop experience somewhere at some point. So as I was thinking about that, I was like, man, wouldn't it be great if I could just bottle those experiences up and have them whenever I wanted them? I think that is especially true for people who are in church leadership because a big part of my job and Philip's job and anyone else who preaches or leads on a regular basis in a church context is trying to bring people to kind of a spiritual mountaintop experience, a place where you feel God close, whether it's through preaching or through music or through any other variety of avenues. We would like to do that. Wouldn't it be nice if we could just bottle up mountaintop experiences and hand them out like candy? But alas, <laughs> that's not how it works. You know, I think that if we were to go and ask Elijah, he might say the same thing. In fact, if you remember last week, we started part one of a two-part series with Elijah and what's going on kind of there in his life. And in the Old Testament, as we learned last week, he had a mountaintop experience. But the issue with him, same as the issue with me or with any of you, is he couldn't just bottle it up and take it with him. The fire had raged, it had burned up his sacrifice there on Mount Carmel, 
They had seen incredible things. Elijah himself had raced down the mountain, and he had even beaten um, the chariots of Ahab 20 miles in a race. He was so charged up with the Spirit of God. He had had a mountaintop experience. The rain had come. It had filled up the reservoirs, pelted the earth, quenched the thirst of the people. Elijah had had a magnificent mountaintop experience. But the question is, did it last? So I would encourage you to open with me to 1 Kings chapter 19. And we're going to read about whether or not that experience actually lasted for Elijah, like he doubtless hopes it will. We find a frightened palace servant shaking Elijah awake and saying, the queen is going to kill you. Elijah had just defeated Baal on the top of Mount Carmel, but the queen wanted Elijah to know that Baal is very much alive and well. And so she sent word that 24 hours from that moment, he would be dead just like all 850 prophets of Baal and Asherah he had just massacred, but mere hours ago. And Elijah gets this word and it sends him into a panic, into a tailspin. He is afraid. And so what does he do? He's fearful, he's depressed, he's in despair. And so he runs, he runs away. In fact, he runs all the way to Beersheba. He leaves a servant and then takes an extra day's journey into the wilderness. Here is where Elijah encounters a messenger from God, an angel. And the angel takes care of his most basic needs first. The angel gives him food, gives him water, and tells him to rest. You see, God understands that at this moment, Elijah is going to need to learn a valuable lesson about mountaintop experiences. But before God gets down to business, he takes care of Elijah's physical needs first. So that's what he does. And then it really begins. After Elijah is alive and well enough to continue moving, he then takes a trek that lasts for 40 days and 40 nights all the way to Mount Horeb, or as it's more commonly referred to, Mount Sinai. But why does he do that? Why does he run all the way to Mount Sinai? Why does he go through all the trouble to run a total of 300 miles from Carmel to Sinai? Well, I think the reason is pretty simple, really. Elijah is looking for another mountaintop experience with God. He's just finished a magnificent experience on top of Mount Carmel where the fire burned in incredible ways and God was real and God was right there. And then that experience finishes. And what does Elijah want? He wants another one. He wants to hear the wind blow, to feel the ground shake and see the fire fall. And so that's what he's hoping for as he heads to Mount Sinai. He goes back to the mountain, in fact, where Moses had witnessed those kinds of dramatic events, and he's hoping God will come through again. So this is where we will join Elijah today in the text. We'll read once again from 1 Kings chapter 19. We'll start with verse 9. This is what the text says. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. 
Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel-Meholah to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put, together, put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and whose mouths have not kissed him. So we read here that Elijah reaches Sinai. He spends the night in the cave, and then God asks, what are you doing here, Elijah? You see, up to this point in the narrative, what we find is a couple of phrases that always seem to come together. The first phrase is, and the word of the Lord came to Elijah. And the second phrase is, and Elijah went and did. It happens over and over and over. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah, and Elijah went and did. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah, and Elijah went and did. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah, and Elijah went and did. But you see, there's a problem. Because in this particular part of the narrative, we only have one of those phrases. The only thing we have here is, and Elijah went and did. There is no word of the Lord that sends him all the way from Carmel to Sinai. He just gets very scared and takes off running and ends up there chasing a mountaintop experience to a place where the Lord had not commanded him to go. So he ends up there and God says, what are you doing here? And how does he respond? He says, I have been zealous for you, but all the Israelites have done is reject you, God. They have torn down your altars, killed your prophets, and now they're coming for me. I think I would summarize that in kind of more modern words by saying this. Elijah is saying, my last mountaintop experience didn't last. I want another one. What are you going to do about that? And so God looks down into that cave where Elijah waits and says, oh, you want a mountaintop experience? Why don't you come out of that cave and see what I have waiting for you? And so then Elijah sits there and he hears the wind begin to whistle. And it gets louder and louder and louder, and it is so strong and powerful, in fact, that the text says it shatters the very rocks on the mountain. Mm. It splits them apart. Could God be in the wind? Well, he certainly could be. After all, centuries before Elijah stands in that place, um, excuse me, he could be in the wind. Job found that out in a very powerful way when God speaks to him not once, but twice from a whirlwind. So we've seen examples of God being in the wind before. 
But for some reason, this time, God is not there. So Elijah stays put, and he waits. And then finally, as it settles down, he begins, the, he begins to feel the very ground underneath him shift and roll and shake, and it tilts and jerks and rolls like water as the mountain begins to shake at its very core. And could God be in the earthquake? Well, again, he certainly could be. Centuries before Elijah stood in that place, Moses stood in that same place as that very same mountain quaked as the presence of the same God was there as he delivered his people from the land of Egypt. But this time, God is not there, and Elijah knows it. So Elijah once again stays put and waits. Pretty soon, as the mountain finally settles down, Elijah can smell the acrid stench of smoke from a fire as he's in that cave. And soon he can begin to feel the heat and the strength of the flames as they rise and burn hot. And could God be in the fire? Once again, he certainly could be. It was merely 40 days ago when Elijah saw God in a very powerful fire as he consumed a sacrifice that Elijah himself had put together and as God said he would deliver. But still, Elijah won't move because he knows that while God can be in the fire, he's not in this fire. But then finally, after three natural disasters, there is a profound silence that falls over the mountain. And Elijah waits, and he waits, while there is no sound at all. Nothing moves, nothing makes a noise, for God himself approaches. And as he sits, Elijah hears a whisper, a quiet voice call out. And this time Elijah knows this one, this one is God. So he wraps his face in his mantle and goes outside to meet his maker. In the book entitled Character Forged from Conflict, author Gary Preston writes the following story. Back when the telegraph was the fastest means of long-distance communication, there was a story, perhaps apocryphal, about a young man who applied for a job as a Morse code operator. Answering an ad in the newspaper, he went to the address that was listed. When he arrived, he entered a large, noisy office. In the background, a telegraph clacked away. A sign on the receptionist's counter instructed job applicants to fill out a form and wait until they were summoned to enter the inner office. The young man completed his form, sat down with seven other waiting applicants. After a few minutes, the young man stood up, crossed the room to the door of the inner office, and just walked right in. Naturally, the other applicants perked up, wondering what was going on. Why had this man been so bold? They muttered among themselves that they hadn't heard any summons yet. They took more than a little satisfaction in assuming the young man who went into the office would be reprimanded for his presumption and summarily disqualified from the job. Well, within a few minutes, the young man emerged from the inner office, escorted by the interviewer who announced to the other applicants, gentlemen, thank you all so much for coming, but the job has been filled by this young man. The other applicants began grumbling, and then one finally spoke up and said, wait a minute, I don't understand what's going on here. He was the last one to come in, we never even got a chance to interview, and yet he got the job. That is not fair. So the employer responded and said, I'm sorry, 
But the entire time you've been sitting here, the telegraph has been taking out the following message in Morse code. If you understand this message, then come right in. The job is yours. None of you heard it. None of you understood it. But he did. So the job is his. I think it would have been easy for Elijah to become distracted by a hurricane, an earthquake, and a wildfire. Those are typically pretty big deals. They've often announced the presence of God as we've read throughout in the Old Testament. We see lots of examples of those things. But they didn't this time. And so Elijah waits in the cave, and he doesn't go out to the mouth, and he doesn't see God until the quiet whisper arrives. He doesn't get taken in by all of the background noise that's going on. But as soon as he hears the whisper, Elijah goes outside and meets God. He gets out there, and again God asks, Elijah, what are you doing here? And again Elijah gives the same answer. My last mountaintop experience did not last. I want another one. But God doesn't do what he did back on Mount Carmel. He doesn't bring the fire. He doesn't come like he did with Job in the wind. He doesn't even come in the earthquake like he had done with Moses at that very same place long before then. This time, he comes in a whisper. You see, throughout the Old Testament, God has done all of those things in various moments. He has done miraculous and wondrous acts. He has performed them many times. But this time God says, enough. I will no longer bring down fire or speak through hurricanes or shake the earth with my presence. I have done everything for this people and yet they still do not believe and they still do not listen. We read throughout the Old Testament, God does that constantly. We see many miracles, many acts of tremendous magnanimity. But the people continue to turn away time after time after time and again. And so God does something interesting here in this narrative. You see, what we find here is that God comes in the whisper. And after this narrative of Elijah and Elisha, God can completely changes MOs. He will not come in the fire and in the earthquake and in the whirlwind ever again. He shifts his MO to coming in the quiet whispers. In fact, after this very narrative, after Elijah and Elisha, God is almost silent. Mm. We don't hear from him again in the Old Testament in this way. In fact, the next time we hear from him after this narrative will be almost a thousand years later wow. when you hear the cries of a baby rising from a manger in Bethlehem mm. because everything has changed and God no longer comes in the great miracles and in those large moments. He comes in the quiet whispers. And so Elijah says, I want a mountaintop experience. Come in the great miracles. Show me your presence. And God says, no, no, no. Now I will come in the whispers, in the silent moments, instead of the roaring clamors and the magnificent miracles. And then God speaks to Elijah and he says, okay, Elijah, I am not done with you. So go back the way you came. We're coming out of this peaceful and quiet experience, but I still have more work for you to do. And by the way, you say you are the only one left. 
Elijah, I do not need you. You need me. In fact, there are thousands left in Israel who have yet to bow to Baal. Amen. So don't think for a second that I need you to complete the mission. You, Elijah, are the one who needs me. Mm. And so God sends him back on his way. He says, go back. There is more work yet to be done. But now I will come in the whispers. So the band is going to return. We're going to sing a song of response. And as we do that, I would like you to think of the moments in life, of those mountaintop experiences that doubtless you have experienced. And remember, it is not for us to go chasing those, to try to bottle them up, to try to have them as often as we possibly can. Because the reality is that's not how life works. Life is lived in quiet whispers and moving from one moment to the next. And furthermore, that is not how God works. God is certainly capable of the miracles and of bringing the fire down in our lives in ways that we could never expect or understand. But if I'm being honest with myself and with all of you, I think I would have to say that the likelihood is that God will come to you in your life in the quiet whispers. We just have to listen and not get taken in by all the surrounding distractions from the left and from the right, from the front and from behind. And sometimes we just must sit in the silence and listen for God. So as you go from this place today, I would encourage you to do just that. We are constantly bombarded with noise from every possible direction. But this week, maybe take a moment, even if it's just a mere few seconds and just sit silence and listen for the voice of God. Because while it can come in the fire and the earthquake, it will probably come in the whisper. We just have to listen. Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you for being with us this evening. I ask that you speak into the lives of each and every person who is here tonight and help us not only to hear you, but to be okay with the silence and to hear the whisper as it comes into our lives. Bless us, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Hey, thank you so much for joining us for the Night Church Podcast. We really are excited for where we're going, and you can help us in that mission. There's a few things that you can do. Number one is just stay connected. So if you want to follow up what's going on in the young adult ministry here at Loma Linda University Church, follow us on Instagram at Praxis Ministry. And then the other way to really build from this is to financially contribute. Your donations make such a big impact. And so if you go to lluc.org slash give, you can connect with Praxis Ministry there. On a one-time gift or a reoccurring commitment, it makes such a difference. Well, we love you, care for you, and may God bless you richly as you take theory and make it into practice.